Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Churches podcast, where we are committed to building irresistible bridges between the unchurched and Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. If you're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or any other social media platforms, please give us a like and follow on our page at Bridge Churches to stay up to date and what's happening in and around our church. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's jump right in. Well, as mentioned, my name is Chris. I am the campus pastor here. Our lead pastor, Scott, is uh, on vacation in Florida right now, and I'm just a little bit jealous. Anybody else? I'm just just a little bit. Yeah, um, I, I'm not. I'm trying hard not to pray for bad weather for him, um, but it's a struggle. So pray for me um, as I as I wrestle through that. No, we is much deserved, and uh, and I'm glad he's got some time away um, with his family. Um, so we, yeah, I get to uh, cover him for the next few few weeks and. Uh, talk a little bit about the sound of silence. But here's the thing. I hate silence. I, okay, sure. Um, so we're just going to have music playing the whole time. Um, I hate silence. I really do. I hate silence. I'm not sure what you're like, but I am one of those people who always has something going on. I always have some music playing in the background or a podcast or I've got a TV show going on. I always have something going on, whether I'm cooking, whether I'm just doing stuff around the house. I always have to have something on. I'm just not all that great with silence. I'm just not all that great with silence. I just don't like it. I don't know what it is, but I am just not that great with having quiet time. Maybe it was like a punishment as a kid and like it just stayed with me. I don't know. But I just don't like it. In fact, when I went off to uh, school, I was off uh, in Toronto at uh, Tyndale University College and Seminary, a long name, small school. Um, but it was a great school. And one of the things that was interesting about it, being a, a smaller campus anyway, is that um, there are lots of times that people would go off to go back home or go on you know, do different things. And there wouldn't be a whole lot of people in the school. And it would be one of those weekends that I didn't happen to have something going on and plans. So I was sitting around the school and it was just kind of quiet. You can almost kind of hear the crickets and you're just kind of sitting there going, well, this is going to be a long weekend. And I, there's times I literally get on the bus and I get on the subway and I go downtown uh, Toronto just to kind of have some people around. There's always something going on. There's movies being filmed. There was promotions happening. Like there's always something happening downtown Toronto. So I would take advantage and just go be around people, have some buzz in the air just because I didn't like sitting in silence. I just hated it. Even as I write sermons, I have to be around something. I, I can't sit in a room and just be quiet. At least it's hard, very hard for me. There's occasionally times I can do it, but I really hate it. I really, really do. So often when I'm writing a sermon, I'll go to a coffee shop and I'll just sit in there so that I've got the sounds of the coffee machines going. I'll have some people's conversations and I'll just have something going on while I'm writing the sermon. Scott thinks I'm crazy, but it's what I like to do just because I, I can't stand silence. Some of you know, some of you may not know, but I was a youth pastor for, for many years. As I got into youth ministry, or as I got into ministry, my first job was as a youth pastor. And for nine years, I was a full-time youth pastor. And as you can imagine, that was, not, that was never silent. It was always craziness, always some chaos going on, even when I was speaking. Even when I was speaking, somebody's throwing something, someone's talking about something, and I just kind of got used to it. I just got used to it. And then I had the opportunity to speak to the adults. The pastor said, hey, you know, how about you speak? I remember getting up there 
and they just stared at me for 30 minutes. Like it was just quiet, like it is kind of now, and it's staring at me, and it was really eerie for me. I just don't really like silence. But one of the worst, one of the worst forms of silence, for me anyway, is in conversation. Anybody else? In conversation, you're just having a normal conversation with someone, and then it just gets awkward. You just start staring at each other, and somebody's got to say something. Somebody's got to wrap this thing up, but you're just kind of staring at each other. I have a friend. We'll call him Bob, because that's his name. No, um, no, it's not, it's not his name. Um, I, will, I should do a disclaimer. Someone came up, up to me afterwards and like, am I Bob? No, no, no. They don't go here. You don't know them. Don't try and guess who it is. But I have a friend. We'll call him Bob. And I have known him for years. Bob is a wonderful guy, an amazing guy. Um, very thankful for his friendship. But in the many years I have known him, I honestly don't think that I've had one conversation with him that hasn't just had some awkward silence. We just get to a point where he just kind of stares at me, smiles, and nods his head. And I'm not sure if it's just a, a social cues thing, but he's just not picking up that the conversation is done. He's just not picking up that we need to kind of get to that point in the conversation. Well, it was great seeing you. Awesome, thanks. Yeah, good. Yeah, say hi to the family. And we go on our way. We go on our way. But he just couldn't pick that up sometimes. In fact, he didn't pick it up anytime. And we always got to the point where it was just kind of awkward. We just kind of stood there and smiled at each other, going, how are we going to wrap this up? How are we going to do this? And we always had that. And maybe you're kind of like that too. And that's just painful for you. But apparently I'm not alone. Apparently I'm not the only one. Because researchers have found that in North America, the ideal pauses in conversations are a quarter to a half a second, just long enough to take a breath. Just long enough to take a breath. That's all we need. In fact, they also found uh, that the pauses can get awkward when it, re- when it stretches into four seconds. And then someone has to say something. We're just like, they go, we can be talking, but four seconds, like that's a long pause for no one to say anything. And we have to jump in saying something. But I thought this was interesting. Of course, the conversation rhythms can differ between languages and cultures. Maybe you're like, I can handle more than four seconds. And they found this. Research found that English speakers can rarely last longer than four seconds in in silence, while pauses and conversation for Japanese speakers are commonly reaching eight seconds. Like, oh, come on, we got to, like, that's a long time not to say something. Maybe there's more patient than me, but like, that's a long, 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 painful time. If I was in a conversation, it would last eight seconds. It would feel like an hour to me. That, that would be a lot. That would be a lot, and that would be very, very hard. But see, what's going on in our brains when that's happening? Well, research by the name of Ty, I forget his last name. His book is The Science of Why We're Socially Awkward and Why That's Awesome. I thought that was just so much better to write down than his name. Like, that's a great, one of the greatest book titles I've ever heard. But his, in his book, he writes this. He says, when you experience an unexpected silence, the amygdala starts to sound alarm bells. And the amygdala is the same part of the, the brain responsible for the fight or flight response. So he says, goes on to say, that is what's happening in your brain when silence lasts uncomfortably long. 
That's what's going on in your brain. We all have different levels of silence that we can tolerate, but we all have a breaking point. We all get to a point where I just can't handle this any longer at all. I just can't handle it. And all of a sudden you have fight or flight. You're like, I gotta say something. I gotta get out of here. Like we just, whatever we're doing, we can't keep doing this any longer. I've kind of reached my breaking point. And as awkward as those moments can be and as you know, funny it is to joke about those moments, there's some silence in some of our lives where it is just much more painful. It's not just awkward, but it hurts. Some of you are, are newly, uh, you know, you've got some new situations in your household or in your family, and it just it's messed with the dynamic of who you are and, and, and how the rhythms of your life have, have gone. Some of you, you know, when the kids have moved out of the house for the first time, and your house used to be filled with chaos, and there used to be kids running around, and their friends coming over, and as they got older, you were shuffling them off to dance practices, and, and sports games, and, and piano recitals, and things were just crazy, and you thought, I just cannot wait. I just cannot wait until things calm down just a little bit, just a little bit. Like, I would love eight seconds of silence. Like, that would be, that's heaven for me. But then you have it, and you come home now, and all of a sudden, that silence hurts a little bit. That silence is a little more awkward. That silence is, is painful. You miss what was. Maybe you've recently lost someone, and the silence is there. Many of you know that I lost my mom when I, when I was 15, and coming home, not hearing her, not being able to tell her about something, oh, the silence. The silence hurts. Thanksgiving dinners, Christmas dinners. Yeah, there's some conversation, but there's a notable silence in the air. And it hurts. And it's painful. Some of you recently separated, divorced, and your house used to be busy, even with fights. But there was something going on. And now you walk in. Now you walk home. Now you open the door. And that quietness hurts. Really, really really hurts. Silence. For some of you, for some of you, the silence is just deafening. It's just there. It's palpable. It's in the air, and it is painful. It is so unbelievably painful. And I think as painful as the physical silence is, it's actually the silence behind the silence that hurts the most, that's the most painful. It's the unanswered questions behind those silent moments. It's questions like, is this going to be forever? Am I ever going to get over this? Am I ever going to get past this? Am I ever going to find someone else? Am I ever going to move on? Are my kids okay? Are they making wise decisions? It's those questions, it's those things that we wrestle through in those moments that we don't have answers to. It's the silence of those questions that hurts and it's painful and we struggle with. And I think when it comes to silence from God, it can be the most painful of all. I think when it comes to silence to God, it just can hurt so much because isn't he supposed to be the God who's always there with us? Isn't he the God who's supposed to be always there alongside of us? Isn't he the God who's always supposed to walk with us and get there with us? Isn't he supposed to be the God who's carrying us? Isn't he supposed to be the God who has the answers that we don't? And there's silence from him. Some of you, you cried out to God, you cried out to God, you cried out to God, and he just seems silent. 
He just seems like he's not showing up. And you go, hey, God, if you're out there, like even a no, even if that's never gonna happen, even if like I'm not gonna do this the way you want me to do it, even if that was the answer, it would feel better than silence. For some of you, for some of you, you're not even sure if God's out there because you've done that. You've cried out to God and your lack of a response, a lack of hearing anything from him has been an acknowledgement to you that he's just not there. And you've cried out and you've cried out and you've cried out and all of a sudden, you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and still, still nothing. It's painful when you cry out to God and you don't hear him because he is silent. I think this is kind of an awkward time of year in November, to be honest. It's kind of a bit of a silent time of year. For us, you know, I, I don't know about you and your family, but it's, it's kind of that pause between two chaos, right? Like for me and my family, September was a lot of chaos. You know, you're trying to get kids ready for school. You're trying to buy them all the things you thought you had for them already. And you're realizing you don't. So you go off, make sure everyone's got the shoes that fit and the, they've got their notepads and their binders and the backpacks that you swore you've bought, you know, a thousand times and they're only seven, but you've bought a thousand backpacks and you're getting all these things for them and you get them back into school and you get back into some sort of rhythm and routine and you get there and you're like, great, that's awesome. Life can be normal again. They're in school. There's rhythm and routine. Then Thanksgiving's just around the corner, and you're like, awesome, I got to arrange that too. So you're getting family together, and you're getting friends uh, together, and plans, and doing di- uh, dinners, and, and all sorts of wonderful things, but they're, they're busy and chaotic. And then you've got Halloween, and, and there's just all sorts of things that are going. It seems one thing after another after another, and you're like, is this going to stop? And then November comes, and there's a brief moment of pause before the chaos of Christmas comes, right? The chaos of Christmas, it's basically the quiet before the Christmas storm because we all know what's coming. We all know what's coming. It's not gonna be long, but before we gotta do all the shopping and we gotta get all the decorations up and we gotta get do this and that and all that, and it's just chaotic and it just is a brief moment before that kicks in. It's a weird time of year. It's a weird time of year. But one of the things I was thinking about as I was thinking through that and how weird this time of year is, I think it was obviously in a lot of ways very much weirder for the first Christmas. As I think about the first Christmas that happened, you know, it was not really silence. You know, there's not, you, I'm sorry, the song has led you astray. There was some crying he made. He was a baby. It was a chaotic time. There's, you know, a couple who, whose life was turned upside down and they're, you know, out looking for a place to stay and they'd have no hotel and they end up in this barn and like, it's just, it's just a mess. But one of the things I think is so interesting about that time is just the time they were waiting on God. You see, Scott, as, as Angie mentioned, Scott's been doing this series the last few weeks, um, looking at how to read Scripture. And he, one of the things he talked about is that Scripture is not, well, the Bible is not one book. The Bible is actually more like a library. It's a collection of books. It's actually a collection of 66 books. And in, in its most basic form, it's broken into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the time before Jesus and the time after Jesus. And the time before, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, for many of us, we just turn the page, right? We flick our thumb across the app. 
It's, it's, it's a very short jump between Old and New Testament. We can go right from all the stories of all that God's done in the Old Testament. We can read through all the books. We can get to Malachi. We can skip over. And all of a sudden, we are in the Gospels hearing all about this baby Jesus ready to be born. But they didn't have that. They didn't have that at all. In fact, there's 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testament. For 400 years, they had nothing. For 400 years, they were silent between all the stories they had heard and all the things they grew up and and all the things they'd been told. And all of a sudden, the baby Jesus. They didn't even know the baby Jesus was showing up. They weren't told, well, wait 400 years and then he'll show up. No, no. They just had a promise and they were waiting on it and waiting on it and waiting on it and waiting on it and waiting on it for 400 years. For 400 years, they waited. They waited for this Messiah to show up. They waited for this Messiah to come. And somehow, somehow they still had faith that God would show up. Somehow after waiting, not just months, not just weeks, not just years, but generations of waiting, and yet they still had faith. And if I can ask a fairly irreverent question, because Scott's not here, so we still got a couple weeks before we get in trouble. But if I can ask a very irreverent question, it'd be this. Why? Why do they still have faith after 400 years of waiting? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but would you? Would you still have faith after 400 years? I'll be honest, it would be a struggle for me. After hearing the story, after hearing the promise, it wasn't something I even experienced, but my great-great-great-great-grandparents experienced it. And the story is passed down on this promise that we're going to wait on God for this Messiah. We're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. At some point along the way, I'd be wondering great-great-great-grandparents' sanity. I'd be wondering if great-great-great whoever so-and-so drank a little too much. I'd be wondering some of these things. Going, really? Really? I'm not sure this is happening. Like, the clock is, must, must be way done by now. Like, this can't be happening. We know that Christmas is coming. We know the baby's showing up. They did not. They just kept waiting for 400 years. But as I think about this, as I think about why they'd have faith still after so long, how they could have faith after so long, I think it's because of this. The Israelites remembered God showing up in their past. The Israelites remembered God showing up in their past. They had story after story after story to remind them how God had shown up before. They had stories of how their, uh, and in their lineage, they had escaped Egypt and God had taken care of them. How they had gone through the Red Sea and God had parted the seas while this army was chasing after them and God took care of them. How he took care of them in the desert for 40 years. How he, got, how he entered the promised land with them. How he took care of them over and over and over again throughout their history. They'll remember stories of David and Goliath. They'll remember stories of Daniel and the lion's den. They'll remember stories of God showing up time and time and time and time again. In fact, remembering what God had already done was a way of life for them. 
It was just a way of life. I mean, anybody who knows someone of the Jewish faith can look at the Jewish calendar and just see this even today. I mean, the calendar is literally filled with holidays remembering what God has done for them. What God had done over and over and over and over again. And there's all sorts of examples of this. All sorts of examples where they have stopped and said, hey, we need to remember what God has done. But I want to look this morning at one of my favorite examples. They have escaped Egypt. They have been in the wilderness for 40 years, and they are about to enter the promised land. They have been uh, are about to enter this place that they have been promised years and years before. They are about to enter, and, and it's about to be the fulfillment of a, of a promise that God made many, many years ago, and they're about to go in. They're waiting to go in, and they're about to cross the Jordan River. One of the last things they have to do before entering the promised land. And here's what happens. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stages all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenants of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the journey, crossing on dry ground. They kind of seen this before, right? They saw, they saw this at the beginning of the journey when, they parted, when God parted the Red Sea. And here he is again. They're about to cross this river and God says, I got this. Don't get too wet. I got this. And he says, as, as the priests get there, they, they step at the water's edge and he stops the water so they can all go. And what happens is as they stop, they have thousands of people going through and the priests are just waiting and waiting and waiting for people to go through. And then God says, hey, come here. Come here, Joshua. I, I want the people to remember this moment. I want people to remember this time with me. I want them to know for generations this moment. So I want you to do this. I want you to grab 12 guys. I want you to get one from each tribe of Israel. And then I want them to each go down into the middle of the river where the priests are, and I want them to each to grab a rock. And we're going to take that, and we're going to build a monument to it. And that's what they do. The story goes on. It says, on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, why, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Four, the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did, the, uh, to, did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the people of the earth 
might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and it's so that you might always fear the Lord, your God. He's saying, make this stone pile. So when you look and you see your, 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 your kids asking about it and when you see your grandkids asking about it and when you see your great, 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 great grandkids asking about it, you can tell them, hey guys, you want to know what that's about? Come here, let me tell you. Let me tell you the story. Let me tell you what God did here. Oh, and that's not even the first time he did it. He did that 40 years earlier when we had an army chasing us. And let me tell you what he did before, between these events. And all of a sudden, they're remembering what God had done for them. What God had done over and over and over in their history. See, one of the things I think that the Israelites understood was this. That in order to develop a faith that will last, we must remember what he's done in the past. In order to develop a faith that will last and endure hard times, it's not just a matter of seeing what he's doing in that hard time and seeing what he's doing in those moments. It's about remembering what he's done before. It's about remembering how he's provided and how he's shown up before. How he's shown up in powerful, maybe miraculous ways before. How he's shown up time and time again. So as we wrestle through this series and we look at the, the topic of silence and what do we do when God seems silent, we're going to ask three questions. And the question I want to ask this this week is this. What has God already done in your life? What has God already done in your life? How has he already shown up? How has he already provided? How has he already been there for you? Because if you're anything like me, I'm just worried about the moment. I'm just worried about what God is doing in this moment and how he's working in this event or in this thing that I want him to work in. I've kind of forgotten about the past. But what I love about this story is that they say, no, 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 no. They have stuff to go on and do. Their journey's not over yet. But they got to stop and say, we need to remember this. We need to remember God showing up. So if you're struggling today. If you're struggling with, I just feel God is silent in my life. I'm calling out to God and I don't feel he is answering me. I don't feel like he's showing up the way I want him to. Maybe. Maybe what you need to do today is you need to get out your phone, you need to get a pen and paper, and you, need to, you just need to start writing down all the ways God has shown up for you in the past. What has he done? How has he been there for you? How has he gotten you through tough times in the past? I think a lot of us, if we were to sit down and write, we could write. The list can't be too long. Write it out. And I'd suggest, even if it's something you're not struggling with right now, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Because what I loved about the story is they didn't do it when they were uncertain. They didn't do it when they had a tough time hearing from God. God had just shown up and they said, hey, before we forget this, let's do it. Let's do it now before we forget. Before we need this reminder, let's set up these rocks so that when we see it, it will be a reminder. So I need you to go home today. 
Maybe before you even leave here and start putting down a list of things that, hey, God has shown up in powerful ways. So that when you do struggle with God feeling silent and you're not sure if he's out there, you'll, have, you'll be able to be reminded of how he's shown up before. I'm not promising he's gonna show up and fix everything. He might say no. He might not handle it the way you want him to handle it. But at the very least, you'll have a reminder that he has shown up in the past and he will be there for you to help you through this. Now, for you, some of you, a list may just seem way too big. You're like, I, I, I wish I had a list, but, but I really can't think of that many things. Then think of one thing. Think of one thing where God has shown up in your life, just one. And then because you can only think of one thing, I want you to find a symbol of that one thing. Something that's gonna be a little more visual than just having a list somewhere. And I want you to put it somewhere that you'll see it as a reminder of what God's done in the past. So I don't know what your story is. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you've struggled with infertility for years and you've had all sorts of things that you've just struggled with and God has shown up and you had a baby. Well, maybe you need to put a rattle or pick out a, a, some baby boots or something and put them on your dresser or put them somewhere you'll see them. And every time you see them, it's a reminder that God showed up there. I don't know what your story is. Maybe for some of you, it's something with your, with, your, uh, with your family. Maybe it's something with your marriage and you just thought it was never gonna end well. And somehow, some way, God showed up and your marriage is stronger than it ever was. Well, take a wedding picture. Take something that reminds you of that and put it in a prominent place so when you see it, you'll be reminded of God showing up. If you can't think of anything, go for a walk this afternoon. Get a rock, get a Sharpie, and write it down. Put it somewhere so you'll be reminded when God seems so silent that he's still out there, that he's worked in the past, and he might just show up in your future. For some of you, you're like, I just don't even know if I can do that. Like, I don't think God's even out there. Like, I don't think he's ever worked in my life. I just want you to play crazy with me for a second. What if he was? Like, when you think of your life, and I were to sit down, and you were telling me some of the stories, and I know, sure, yeah, you don't believe God's out there, but what if he is? As you think about your life, is it possible that one of these things was him working? One of these things you thought that was just, just chance, Maybe that was just karma. Maybe that was just whatever you think it was. But maybe, just maybe, maybe it was God. Maybe it was God showing up for you. I want us to do this because I think that if we do, it will help us in the hard times. That as we struggle and feel that God is so distant and so far away, it will be a reminder that he's shown up before. Because in order to develop a faith that will last, we must remember what he's done in the past. That's what I want us to understand. It doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make the pain go away. I'm sorry if that's what you're hoping for today. I don't have that. But maybe it can help us get it through till tomorrow. Because just because God seems quiet doesn't mean that he's quit. Some of us have quit on God because he just seems too quiet and he's just, there's no way he's there. 
But just because he is quiet does not mean he's quit in your life and doesn't mean he's done with you. See, I hope, I hope we can all get to a point where we can say something like this. God has shown up before and I trust he will show up again. He's shown up before and I trust he will show up again. I don't know how, I hope for it to happen a certain way. I hope for it to happen tomorrow and here's how I want to do it. And he might not go along with my game plan, but I've seen him work before. And I trust I will see him work again. I wish it would just all work out wonderfully. But more than that, I hope that we'll have a faith that will last in hard times. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as, as always, I know it's easier said than done. I know it's easier to get up here and talk about this than it is to wrestle through this in our real lives. Lord, when we're going through pain and, and things are hard and life is just so difficult for us, it's, it's hard when you don't seem there with us. Lord, I pray that you'd give us reminders today of ways that you have shown up before. Even if we haven't seen it in those moments, I pray that with the benefit of hindsight, we'd say, hey, I do see God showing up in my, in my history, in my past. And may that be enough to cling to a tomorrow where you show up again. Lord, you are faithful and you are, are always there with us, even when it doesn't seem it. I thank you for that. And I pray that you'd help us to know it, that and help us to feel that. In your name we pray. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, you're looking for ways to take your next step, please visit us on our website, bridgechurches.ca. Much love, and God bless.